Hi there, and welcome back to day four of my reflections on atheism for Lent, which is a course that is coming up next week, uh, unless you're watching this from the future. And uh, I should probably say, I've never mentioned, if, you, if you're interested in what you hear, just go to my website and you can find out more about the course. Basically, it's, it's over Lent. There's 40 reflections, um, and they explore the theological dimension of atheism but most of you will know that by now. Um, so over the, this, the week uh, in the run-up to the course, I'm kind of taking some uh, little highlights. Uh, every day I'm looking at a different week and what we'll be exploring. And so today um, I want to look at, at kind of the materialist critique of religion. Now, last week we looked at the mystical uh, formulation of religion and the week before that, we, uh, we will be looking at um, the, the standard critique of religion, which is what we did two days ago. But So today we're going to look at people like Feuerbach, uh, uh, Goldman, Nietzsche, Freud, Marx. This is that, those are the figures, I won't cover them all in this, obviously, Facebook Live, but those are the characters uh, that will be making up the reflections of that, that week. Um, now, just to contextualize their thinking a little bit, uh, basically everything changed with Kant in the 18th century uh, in terms of the way that people argued um, about reality, about God, about meaning. Um, before Immanuel Kant, uh, you had a lot of you know, standard arguments, for example, for or against the existence of God, uh, or for or against the uh, existence of freedom. Are we really free or are we determined? Um, there are all these kind of metaphysical discussions that were going on and are very interesting to read. But then Kant came on the scene and he challenged the idea that these really get us anywhere, that metaphysical arguments in their, in their traditional form work. And uh, he, uh, so in, in one sense, Immanuel Kant wouldn't be saying that arguments for or against the existence of God are unpersuasive. Uh, in some ways, he's saying the opposite. He's saying that they're both persuasive, and that's the problem. Uh, you see this today, you know, if you're in one camp, and so you primarily read the arguments that, say, argue that God as a being exists, then, you know, you could, you could hold those beliefs in bad faith, which means you really just want it to be true, and so, you know, you, you're persuaded. But you can also hold them in good faith. You could read the arguments and go, I, I think that, there's, that these are plausible, that they're coherent and even probable. Uh, you have very intelligent people like uh, Richard Swinburne, who wrote a number of books arguing precisely that. He argued first that he thought Christianity in its confessional form, its metaphysical form, uh, is coherent. And then he wrote a book on, its, uh, on the possibility of it being true and even the probability of it being correct. But then on the other side, if you're embedded in those arguments, again, you can hold them in bad faith. You just don't want to believe something because you're rebelling against your mum or something. <laughs> but you can also hold them in good faith and find incredibly good, incredibly persuasive arguments that um, argue against the coherence and the possibility of a kind of metaphysical notion of religion. And so for Kant, the same is with freedom and determinism. Uh, it's not that both sides have 
rubbish arguments. Actually, both sides can develop incredibly sophisticated arguments. And even if you get rid of one, you're always uh, open to the possibility of creating another, right? So even if, if one argument uh, for or against freedom doesn't work, uh, very creative and intelligent people will, will come up with new forms of the argument that will take many years or maybe, maybe decades to unpack. So with Kant, there's a real move to the, what's called the phenomenal, which is the world that we live in, the world that we experience. And philosophy kind of, in a sense, with Kant, landed on its feet. And so philosophy became more interested with what we can talk about, uh, what we can make progress in in our thinking, and critiquing the kind of idle metaphysical speculation that could be seen in the worst of scholastic philosophy. Now, after Kant, everyone kind of has to take that seriously, whether or not people agree with Kant, to do any serious kind of work in philosophy, you have to take seriously his arguments. And basically in the aftermath of this Kantian revolution, uh, the arguments against God uh, take a different form. They're less interested in whether you can construct a, a logically consistent argument for or against the existence of God, because they have a, a legitimate critique of that entire way of doing things. They're more interested in how religion is manifest in the world, uh, how it's given to us through books or doctrines or teachings, how it's uh, lived out in community, how it uh, impacts society, how society impacts it. So this new kind of, kind of cluster of questions become important uh, to thinkers. Uh, they, want, they want to talk about Christianity in its, in, its, in its real lived form. The proof is in the pudding, right? Now, again, they have a sophisticated reason for that. Now, the materialist critics, or they're called the masters of suspicion, um, have different ways of answering that question, mostly complementary. But, uh, you know, the, the, the first person we'll look at is Feuerbach, Ludwig Feuerbach. And he critiques uh, religion, um, but as a friend. He says, I'm not an enemy of theology. In fact, I'm a friend of theology. I think theology is brilliant. I think, says Feuerbach, uh, the truth of Christianity is actually find in social and political and cultural uh, revolutions and transformations and enrichments of life. And he says that, so in other words, you, you don't reject theology, um, rather theology blossoms into something. And what it blossoms into is into a real concern for the world. So that's why, and I mentioned it before, one of his famous sayings is theology um, is anthropology. So when we do theology, really the, the secret of theology is, is, is how do we live well on earth? But then uh, the last person we look at that week is uh, uh, Goldman, Emma Goldman, who's an anarchist writer uh, who sees religion in a very negative way. She writes very beautifully and, and a very strongly against religion. And you'll, you'll see that if you do the course. But, um, you know, has a very kind of negative view. And then... All these thinkers who come after them have a, uh, I was going to say a more nuanced idea, but yeah, I would say that Nietzsche, Marx, and Freud, they, they're all interpreting religion as it is given. 
as it manifests itself in the world. Now, I'm only going to pick up on one of the thinkers, and I'm only going to pick up here on one of the points of one of the thinkers. Uh, I'll be giving a whole seminar during Atheism for Lent on this. But uh, I want to take uh, something Feuerbach says in his book, The Essence of Religion, because Feuerbach is really the, the first of this crew of, of, of uh, materialist cr critics. And uh, Feuerbach, he, he brackets out, again, the question of whether God exists or there's ultimate meaning or anything like that. But he, he's very clear to say, like, he's not doing that because he thinks it's wrong. He's like, maybe it's right. You know, um, he says, because his issue is, um, he says, what, what happens in theology as it gets critiqued, uh, often religious individuals drop more and more of their assertions. And uh, you see this in, the, there's a reading in the second week by Anthony Flew, which beautifully expresses this. But it's kind of like, you know, somebody says, well, you know, God, uh, God is, um, uh, let me think of an example. Oh, yeah, God, God is like a, a warrior uh, and, and uh, you know, comes in and fights against injustice. And then someone says, well, you know, is, is that not just a metaphor? God is a warrior. He fights for injustice. You know, like really, we have to fight for justice. And it's, they might go, well, yeah, well, that, that's kind of what I mean, is that, that it's a metaphor. God fights for justice in the world through the participation of people who are faithful to him. And then someone says, well, you know, when you use the word him, is God a him? And you go, well, no, not God isn't a him or a her or even an it. God is a ground. Uh, and, and what happens is this keeps going until you're left with this very Gnostic type of Christianity, a kind of a new age or a cultic Christianity, like uh, anthroposophy or, or kind of new age spiritualities, where it's all about kind of experiencing this oneness and this, this kind of connection with the ground of being and, and doctrine is rejected and, you know, church is rejected. I, I don't need church. The, the, everywhere is my church. You know, the, 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 the waves are my church. The, the uh, going down to the coffee shop, that's my church. And so what you have is you have like a, a, a spirituality that is divested of uh, kind of rituals and dogmas and confessions and meetings and, and that kind of stuff, except for like a few very kind of, um, kind of uh, loosey-goosey type of spirituality. And Feuerbach goes like, okay, fair enough. Let's say that's right. He says, I don't care. He says, what interests me about, say, Christianity for him? is he says, is how, is how it looks and how it feels in terms of its dogmas and doctrines and creeds and rituals and community practice and, and scriptures. And he's like, and he goes, and I think that's, that's where the meat of religion is, not in some kind of getting rid of all that and feeling kind of at one with the world. Because, you know, take LSD to feel that, right? It's easy to feel. <laughs> but, um, but no, 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 it's in actually this really weird, earthy, grounded, language-based, ritual-based set of beliefs and practices. And he goes like, and, that's, he, and he loves that. And he says, and actually, I think that's what people mean when they talk about religion. Most people, he says, the, the theologians go more and more into the ether, and then they get more and more away from how real people understand, interpret, and engage with religious activity. Now, Feuerbach was a deep reader of Luther, Martin Luther, and he gets this from Luther because the whole Protestant movement 
particularly in Luther, is the idea that where Luther famously says, let God be God. It's like you can't, all of that kind of, kind of uh, stuff we cannot speak and cannot know, like that's not the interesting bit. For Luther, it's like, it's the Bible, it's Jesus, it's the, it's the parables, it's the teachings, it's the miracles, it's, it's what all of this you know that that rich tapestry of literature and ideas. That's where the that's where the magic is. That's where the life is, um, and so it's it's kind of an interesting it's an interesting move at the very point when many theologians were trying to move away from assertions. Feuerbach, who's actually repeating the philosopher Hegel here, is saying, "No, I want to take religion seriously in its." in its earth form and how it looks and how it feels and how it operates. And for Feuerbach, um, theology ultimately uh, opens up to kind of equity, uh, equality in the world and love and justice and mercy. And also our ideas of God are actually, um, this sounds, this would have sounded weirder back then than it does now, weirdly, but he said like, our understanding of God is telling us something about what we can aspire to. Now, of course, that's simple when you say, if you say God is love, well, you're saying something about, for Feuerbach, you're saying something about humans. We can love. But it's weirder whenever you say something like, uh, you know, God can move mountains or God is eternal or God is uh, kind of not embodied. These, you know, what, what, what does that mean? Well, in some respects, uh, who knows? Like as technology improves, uh, people are talking seriously about things like obviously prolonging life by tens, hundreds, and even thousands of years through uh, medical advances and technological advances. And then people are saying, well, and there's a potential that we will be able to digitally download ourselves or download ourselves into other forms. And you see this in lots of sci-fi at the moment. Um, or actually be freed from physicality entirely. So you start going, okay, my goodness, what if, uh, what if humans, what if like human technology and science can can cash the checks that religion's been writing? <laughs> and Feuerbach, you know, postulates this in the uh, in the eighteenth century. But his big thing is that you know is that is that that our religion says something about us. And then you have in someone like Freud. Uh, or sorry, in some like Marx, the notion that religion is a painkiller. It is a painkiller that protects us against really true suffering, true suffering in the world. And so for Marx, religion is good for that. That's brilliant. We all need painkillers from time to time. But his problem is, he says, too much of this painkiller um, and we never get to fix the problem. If you fix the problem, you don't need the painkillers. Like if you've got a broken arm, you need painkillers. But when you fix the arm, you don't need the painkillers anymore. And so Marx was like, you know, religion can really be the painkillers in a broken world. But how do we fix and heal the world in such a way that alienation is minimized and, and uh, antagonisms are minimized and therefore we don't need the painkiller? So again, he wasn't directly attacking religion. He was saying that religion will kind of go away as we uh, find more equality and uh, richness of life uh, politically. So that's the materialist critique. And you'll see that I've put it beside, I feel like I'm a, I'm a chef trying to mix courses, right? That's what it feels like. This is why I love doing atheism for land. I go, this is a, 
this is a six course meal. I think six course meal for every week is a different course. And what I'm trying to do is make sure that each course complements the one that went before it and the one that comes after it. And so this is trying to complement and contrast with the mystical insights. So now the materialists are saying, yeah, but if this has to be earthed and we're going to critique religion in terms of, you know, how good or bad it is in terms of human flourishing, human development and transformation of society. And then the next course after that will be the existential theologians who take seriously that course and want to, uh, maybe I'm stretching the metaphor, but want to consume it and bring it into their own sustenance and their own way of being. So there you go. That's what I'm trying to do. I'm just going to look, see if you've got any quick questions. Uh, and then I'll let you get on with your day. How many of you, I don't know, a lot of you are listening to this and it's the middle of the day. Thankfully, some of you have lifestyles like mine. Good on you. Um, all right, I'll tip refresh here. So give me one second. Um, this is the, my uh, multi-million dollar uh, pyrotheology industrial complex um, with uh, very low tech. Someday I'll figure out how to do this in a very fancy way. Um, <laughs> uh, Hable says, just got here. What did I miss? <laughs> You'll have to rewatch it. Um, oh, we've got lots of people from there's Norway, Canada, Pennsylvania, and America, um, Minnesota. Let's see. Oh, so Seth. Oh, Seth, he, you know, you're always got the good quotes, Seth, but you're, you're going to, you and I are going to have our first disagreement here. And this is very depressing for me because you just said the materialist critique is the worst, in my opinion. Materialism is self-defeating. Seth, Seth, yesterday you gave that beautiful quote from Bart and it was fantastic. And today you're saying materialism is self-defeating. No, no, no. I'll tell you this. Right. I'd love to do, I would love to do a discussion on this um, at some point, Facebook Live. But Here's one thing I'll say to you to see what you think, is that, uh, first of all, I don't think materialism is self-defeating at all. Like, one of the most famous debates in, in England uh, is the debate between Elizabeth Anscombe and C.S. Lewis. And uh, it was in the Socratic Society um, in um, Oxford. Oxford or Cambridge, you moved between the two, so it's Oxford. And uh, C.S. Lewis was the president of the, of the Socratic Society. And the Socratic Society was very famous, had lots of famous debates. But this is the most famous because C.S. Lewis wrote a chapter in the book Miracles saying that materialism is self-defeating. And Elizabeth Anscombe, who was 20 years younger than him at the time, she was in her 20s and he was in his 40s. And you know, he, he had a massive reputation, but Elizabeth Anscombe was a very famous uh, Wittgensteinian philosopher. But you know, she was young at the time, and she came and she gave a critique of the paper. And uh, then Lewis responded. Now, it's, you know, if you read the debate, you go like, you know, Lewis, this famously known that Lewis lost. This is the, the debate that Lewis lost. Now, there's a lot around it. Uh, how badly did he lose? Um, he was very gracious about it. He changed the chapter in the book. So if you compare uh, edition one of Miracles to edition two of Miracles, the, 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 the first edition has something like the logical contradiction of naturalism. And the second is the cardinal difficulty of naturalism. So he changed his argument in the aftermath of this debate. 
And then he never really wrote apologetics again. He really went into fiction. And um, there's a couple of letters here and there where he says he just feels that he, you know, he's not an academic philosopher, which he wasn't. So Elizabeth asked him, I mean, we, I recreated this debate in Belfast. We had two great actors, uh, a professional actor, Melanie Clark Pollan, who's a friend of mine, who was in EastEnders for many years, and her husband, Simon Maxwell. They played um, this debate. Um, and it was fun to watch. But as you, you know, when you dissect it, you see that, yeah, Lewis, Lewis thought this, but he made a very a, a basic but important mistake. And um, I'll just say the mistake very quickly, and then you can, if you want, go back and see if you're convinced. Uh, the mistake is that he, he argued that materialism has this cause and effect chain that basically says that everything happens because of a previous cause. So everything is the effect of a previous cause, which is an effect of a previous cause. And so the universe starts by just random kind of explosion of molecules and they bounce off each other. And then this chain of cause and effect is put in order until it gets to human beings. And human beings then come up with an idea that the world is non-rational, uh, made up of cause of chain and effects. But... C.S. Lewis's argument is that that very claim comes from a, a, an un, a non-rational cause of chain and effect. So why would you believe it? How could you believe your own beliefs if your own beliefs tell you that your beliefs are only there because of random chance? Um, but I mean, even Alvin Plantinga tries a version of this. Um, but uh, but Elizabeth Anscombe very simply just goes, no, you completely misunderstand. There's there's different forms of cause and effect, and logic. Is a, is, a, is, a, is a, she calls it ground consequent, which means that a cause and effect of two plus two equals four, the ground is two plus two and the consequent is four. That's a logical process, but it's not a logical process through time. It's a logical process that builds uh, in using logic. And she says, you can be a materialist and absolutely believe in ground consequent chain and effect. Sorry for getting technical for anybody who is bored by that. I probably lost a lot of people answering you, Seth. But I think that, that um, you know, this is, this is famous. Lewis wasn't a strong philosopher. I think he's a brilliant guy, and I, I did a whole festival on him because there's little elements of his work that I like. But this is, this is one of his arguments that was, was very poorly conceived. Um, and, but it's still around. But it's not, you don't find it in philosophy very much, it's, but, it, but it is still around. That would be my response. If we were sitting down for a pint, I would allow you to have your, your, your return folly. Um, oh, you mentioned Plantinga. Yeah, yeah. Plantinga's argument as well, I think, is, is rubbish. Now, I'm not a fan of Plantinga. I've re actually read a lot of stuff because I used to do analytic philosophy. But, um, but uh, yeah, the, the argument, I think, is, 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 is very poor. Um, and I think Elizabeth Anscombe, I mean, basically, my argument is not, like, I think Elizabeth Anscombe is right. And uh, if you, her essay, her response is, is, you can get it, probably a PDF online, but it's very easy to get, uh, her response to Lewis. It's, it's, it's a short response, but it's quite, it's quite technical, but it's, it's, a, it's a good response. Um, Matthew says, I'm amazed how many divinity school professors read your works. You're quite popular in California. That is... That's nice to know. I didn't know if, if very many were. Um, mind you, maybe that's just anecdotal, but, uh, but I hope you're right. That would be fun. 
I mean, I'm in California now, so it would be lovely. I never get invited to go anywhere, but I get so few invites now. Uh, so few invites from churches and so few invites from uh, divinity schools. I used to get more a few years ago, but I think it's maybe a mix of like uh, me being a bit crazy. But, but I think it's also, there's just not much money going around. So a lot of these colleges aren't, you know, they can get in other, other professors who have jobs. But like, but in terms of like some freelancers, they just don't do anymore because I'm guessing the budgets are tighter. So I don't know. Not sure whether it's because of me or because of budgets, but um, I hope you're right, Matthew. Um, Seth responds, we could go round and round, I believe. Seth, re read Elizabeth Anscombe and then come back to me, right? I think, I think you'll, uh, you'll be convinced. I don't know, but that's, that's my thing. Read that and then we'll have a drink and talk about it. Um, and uh, I will accept your apology in writing or verbally. <laughs> um, all right, listen, I've been on for a good long time, so I'll let you go. Thanks for checking in and being part of this. And um, I'm, tomorrow I'll be back talking about the existentialists. Um, thanks very much. Um, enjoy the rest of your days, whatever you do. I am actually about to go over to Rob Bell's to record a podcast about um, parables. So uh, that should be out in a few days. Take care. Bye-bye.